Furthermore, the equation E is equal mc squared. Hello and welcome to another Cheeky Scientist radio podcast. I am Isaiah Hankel with Cheeky Scientist. We have a great show for you today. This is the radio show for PhDs who want to get hired into their first or next job in industry and who want to thrive in business. Thank you for joining us. Here we go. I am Isaiah Hankel with Cheeky Scientist. We have a great show lined up today. How introverted PhDs should network. We have on with us a very special guest and best-selling author, Karen Wicker. She was one of the original uh, Googlers. She worked as a Google executive, as a Twitter executive as well. Very excited to bring her on uh, today. We have a lot to cover. And I'm going to start with the PhD Advantage section of the show, and then we will go into the Show Me the Data section, and then we'll bring on our leadership guest, Karen. So great to see all of you on today. What I want to talk to you about today is your unique selling proposition, which is crucial um, for you to leverage when networking, especially if you're a bit introverted. I'm gonna to talk to you about that after we discuss a few housekeeping items. I do wanna mention that we have a lot of new articles out on our brand new website. If you go to cheekyscientist.com slash blog, this will take you to our resources page. Did you know that we have over 3 million PhDs visiting our site and using our resources every year now? Amazing. We just calculated these new numbers. They're on this page as well as many new featured articles. We have new categories, resumes, negotiation, LinkedIn, interviewing, networking, careers, our radio show, best of. We collect the best articles all over the internet when it comes to getting hired in industry and your first or next industry job especially for PhDs. So you can just go to this one place, click, click best of, and you'll see all the best of articles every week. You can sign up on this page also, and we will deliver the best articles from all over the internet to your inbox as well. If you need to be, read about resumes, you can read about resumes. You want to read about negotiation, you can do that as well. And we have our most viewed articles listed at the bottom here and our podcast. If you haven't Subscribe to our podcast. Make sure you do so because we have a lot of special features that we do on our podcast as well. This Thursday, we have a very special webinar. It's sponsored by our largest, as in the most members, our largest advanced program, Scientist MBA. And the webinar is on increasing your business acumen to get hired into a management role. So through the association, we've had a lot of success getting PhDs hired, thousands and thousands of PhDs, but we had a problem. A lot of these PhDs were accepting entry-level roles. And the data shows that if you get into an entry-level role, role in industry to start, it takes five to eight years to get into a management-level role. A lot of you have heard of a management track position. This is decided very early on. And you can get into management without any industry experience. It happens all the time. Uh, think of the person who gets into a scientist one or scientist two role versus a principal scientist role or senior scientist role. The results are dramatic. In that five to eight year time, if you're on the entry level role, the averages look like 60,000 to 90,000 over that time in terms of salary worldwide. Management track, it's much different. It's 110,000 up to over 200,000. And a lot of you can't even fathom making that much money if you've been in academia your whole life, but it's, it's possible and it's very different. The worst thing that we think can happen for a PhD who gets hired, getting hired is great, but working beneath or even side by side in the same role as somebody with their bachelor's or master's. You've got your PhD. You need to leverage it. We're going to talk about how to do that on Thursday, February 13th, and it is at 9 p.m. Eastern time, 9 p.m. Eastern time, so make sure you show up for that. If you want to learn more about our Scientist MBA program, go to cheekyscientist.com smba-learn-more. You can get on the wait list for Scientist MBA by putting your name and email on this, we'll send you free materials about how to get into a management track position, and we'll send you uh, early VIP updates for the webinar. For those of you listening by audio, the URL for the webinar page is cheekyscientist.com, smba-business-acumen-webinar. Now, 
What I want to talk to you about during our PhD Advantage section before we jump into the Show Me the Data section is your unique selling proposition. And this is more advanced than your elevator pitch. So I'm going to show you a, a figure on this that I think will help you understand how this works. A lot of you are, are thinking about one thing and one thing only when it comes to getting a job. What you do well. That's not enough. As you can see here, your unique selling proposition takes three things into account. What you do well, what other job candidates do well, and then what the company needs. Most of us, we have blinders on. And I know that some of you know what I'm talking about. If you've ever reached out to somebody that you don't know on LinkedIn and said, hey, here's my resume, please look at it and consider me for this job. You're, you have those blinders on. You're in desperation mode. You're focused on what you do well, what you can offer. You're not focused on the other person, your audience, when's the best time to reach out to them, how to build a relationship with them. You're not any, adding any value first. You're not even thinking about what that company needs specifically. You're thinking about your PhD background, your skills, right? For those of you that are associates and members with us, type in yes if you understand what I'm talking about. This is where most of us start out. You have to move from just considering what you do well, what you want, to what the company needs. Right? If you read a job posting, you see what the company needs. You have to go a bit deeper than seeing the job posting and being like, oh, I have that skill or I don't have that skill. Think about the transferable skills that they need, the transferable skills that you have as a PhD, no matter what your background is, your ability to do research, to learn information quickly. Every company is going to train you on the job. Have you ever thought about explaining that you learn faster than other job candidates? And that's where you start taking this third circle into account, what other candidates do well. So if you're listening to us by audio, we're looking at a Venn diagram, three circles, what you do well, what the company needs, what the other job candidates do well. Now, here's the, the part where a lot of PhDs get stuck. They look at the overlap between what they do well and then what other candidates do well, only. And there's a large space here of overlap and, and what we have in the middle here in text as a label for that space where just those two things overlap is who cares. All right. If the company doesn't need it, who cares? It doesn't matter if you have X skills and somebody, another job candidate has Y skills and you're competing with them for what? You don't, you don't know because you haven't considered what the company needs. And a lot of PhDs get into this mindset. We think of, oh, if I just had these technical skills or this other job candidate has these number of publications and you don't even realize that the company and the job you're applying for doesn't care about uh, publications at all. Do you see the difference? That's why this section is labeled as who cares? What about the overlap between what the company needs and what other job candidates do well, but what you do not do well, at least yet? There's a big fat X there. Why? Because you want to stay away from this in your networking, certainly in interviews. You don't want to lead the conversation to skills that you don't have, but other people might have that the company needs. You want to shift the conversation, control the conversation by quickly discussing what relevant skills that you have. They might bring up something that you don't know how to do. You don't have skills. That's fine. Talk about what you have that's relevant. What skills do you have that's relevant? Talk about how you've learned things in the past when you didn't know them. Talk about how you learn faster than other job candidates. That key transferable skill, how you can do research better, how you can analyze data better than anybody else because of your PhD. And then the question mark is where all three overlap, right? We're used to in Venn diagrams where all three of them overlap. Is that being, that being the positive space? That's not positive in this case. It's a risky zone because you'll need to compete with other job candidates. Remember what we're talking about here, your unique selling proposition. Unique. What separates you, what differentiates you from every other job candidate out there? That's the overlap between what the company needs and what you do well, and ideally what other candidates do not do well. So what separates you as a PhD? What, what, what's the difference between a PhD and getting a master's degree? In a master's degree, you have to master a field. A PhD, you have to push a field forward. That requires innovation. How strongly are you hitting on this transferable skill? I would come back to innovation over and over and over again. I'd come back to doing research over and over and over again. Everybody knows as soon as they see, oh, you have a PhD and you mentioned research innovation, they automatically believe you and understand what you're talking about because that's what your degree gives you. Analysis, the ability to analyze. How many different positions out there, job positions, end with analyst? Okay, it's a key skill that you have, the ability to collect information and data and the ability to analyze information and data. That's your unique selling proposition, as well as your ability to learn information quickly, your ability to innovate. And of course, for every individual, there's going to be even more that you can put here. What is your unique selling proposition? Figure this out. This is your PhD 
advantage. And with that, we're gonna bring on Mary Truscott and go into our show me the data section. So very excited to have on Mary with us again. She comes on for the show me the data section. Hi, Mary, how are you? I'm great, Isaiah, how are you? You can see and hear Mary okay. Please say hello in the chat box. Mary, I'm doing very well. I'm very excited for this show because I think a lot of us as PhDs, we don't recognize the fact that our PhD gives us an advantage, even if we're a little bit introverted, maybe quieter, maybe we live in our own heads, right? Describe any of you. Describe me, you, Mary, I don't know. Um, <laughs> you don't have to answer. But I want to talk about the advantages of that and to start, we're gonna talk about why networking is important. You hear this a lot from us at Cheeky Scientist. Unlike other things you might read or hear online though, we don't just say, hey, networking is important, go do it. We like to break it down. We like to look at the data. We like to talk about the actual action steps, the practical steps to take to become a networker, even if you are a bit introverted. So this first study we're looking at, it's by the Adler Group. Uh, it was posted on LinkedIn. The, the primary sources in the LinkedIn article we're showing here, which we'll put in the post show notes. It's talking about how people get jobs. And I love this study because it breaks down the types of people, the segments into four segments. So under or unemployed people who are actively looking for a job, employed people who are actively looking for a job, employed people who are doing are a little bit active. They call them tiptoers who are like not really happy, they're open for opportunities, but they're not doing much in their job search. Um, maybe they're just talking to people, right? Which we're gonna come back to. And then employed passive, like they're fine, not doing anything for their job search whatsoever. How are these people getting jobs? Do you wanna break down the bar graphs for us and, and describe this for our audio listeners, Mary, and, and what it shows? Sure, sure. So there are four um, categories. Um, through applying, networking, internal, referral, or other, um, that these different categories of people uh, get hired. And um, on the left, it shows the under or unemployed people who are actively searching for jobs. And networking is 50%, 57% of them get the job through networking. Uh, and that number, um, for people who are employed, who are actively looking for jobs, uh, it seems that um, through applying, that's a little bit higher for them. Um, but across the board, I guess it's important to say that networking is the primary way people get hired. That, that's the key thing. Um, I think the more actively people are looking, the more different avenues they're pursuing to try to get hired. Um, but for sure, no, networking is the highest across the board. Yeah. And, uh, and, and in terms of the percentage rates, right? So if you're under unemployed and you're actively looking for a job, 50% of this group of people was hired through networking. 31% uh, through applications, right? So we're talking about networking as in, they found out about the job through networking, were given a referral and were hired that way versus uploading resumes online or internally. Um, and then there's other 11% and then uh, internal 1%. Now the, for, for employed active, networking was still the highest 48%. Employed tiptoer and employed passive networking was through the roof, 63% and 64%. I mean, overall, you're looking at about 50%. And on average, you have double the chances of getting hired through networking than through the second closest uh, application. Um, and this, this is just important. Like, can you get hired through applying online? Yes, you can. But it's very likely you'll get hired and we don't have time to look at all the retention studies on this, but we've looked at them on other radio shows. It's very likely that you won't be a good fit for the job and you'll be let go during the 90 day probation period. You'll want to leave during the 90 day probation period. When there's a referral involved, when networking is involved, you find out a lot more about the position through informational interviews, uh, discussions with people actually working at that job, and you can ensure that you're a good fit. Um, but the key is getting out of that desperation mode of just saying, anybody hire me, I'll take any application, networking, whatever. Networking forces you to get out of desperation mode and actually consider whether there's a long-term advantage to that role. Mary, anything to add? Yeah, just networking. That's how you really get to know what you're get, getting yourself into, right? The yeah. more you know, the, the better a fit you can find. Exactly. And, and then this second figure is just looking at the, the percentages of these different groups that they looked at. And um, as far as the candidates go, there was a larger percentage for uh, employed passively looking. Um, this might have to do with uh, 
demand though, let me see. So this was the same study by the Adler Group. It revealed that active candidates represent around five to 20% of the total talent market. Tiptoe is about 15 to 20% and passive candidates 65 to 75%, right? So what does this mean to you? It means that if you are unemployed um, and, or, you know, I would even throw in if you're in a postdoc, uh, if you're in a PhD program about to be unemployed after you finish your thesis or, or in, a, in a, a low paying postdoc, you're not really employed in industry. And this means that you need to network even more than those uh, who are employed. And what they're doing here is they're just readjusting the numbers based on the percentages of people that they looked at, right? So uh, networking overall became a bit more even with applying online if you were employed and actively looking for example, so it went to 40% to, to 42%. So number three, LinkedIn survey of millennials networking behaviors. So we were talking about this before the show, how millennials, I think there are like 30 year old millennials now, right? Well, I don't know what the actual age, age range is for millennials. I used to always think it was like 21 year olds, but apparently it's, there's generations after millennials. So if you, so for a lot of us here, right? If you're, I guess, 21 to 34 now, you're probably, consider, you're probably considered a millennial in this group. Um, and what we're looking at here is, is very important because it talks about the barriers to networking. So what are the things that have held you back from networking in the past? If you really think about it, like I think of being a PhD student my last year, knowing I needed to network for a job. I'd be in the lab. Uh, I knew I was going to go to a networking event afterwards. I committed to it. But then as the day went on, like this sense of dread and exhaustion crept up on me just from thinking about it because I didn't know what to expect. And by the end of the day, I was like, I got, I just justified. I, had, I have so much work in the lab. Like this is really important, but it was really, really, really just comfort because while I was not happy in academia, in a sense, I wanted to get a job in industry. It was comfortable. I didn't have to go meet people that, you know, where there could be uh, 15 awkward interactions within an hour. Uh, so you see the top barriers to networking here. What, what do the results say, Mary? Um, so their top barriers are unsure how to reconnect. Um, so you might know a person, but how do you start that conversation again? Um, the next yeah. category is don't know what to say. Um, so mm. if you are in an environment where you are with uh, industry professionals or anyone, you don't know what to say. Um, so for the younger cohort ages 18 to 34, about 49% of them are unsure how to reconnect, but ages 45 plus, it's about 26%. So I guess maybe is this with wisdom, <laughs> with life experience, you, you've been through these situations so you can reconnect a bit more. Mm. Um, that could be one explanation. Um, uh, don't know what to say, ages 18 to 34, almost half the people um, have that as a, a challenge. Um, the other two categories are too much time has passed or don't have enough time, which is exactly what Isaiah said. You can, you can also get yourself into a situation where you don't have as much time if you're avoiding it, right? Um, and that actually, that's interesting, don't have enough time. The, the older cohort, 62% of them, that's the reason why um, they're having a bit of difficulty with the networking. Yeah, I think for a lot of us now, we realize that there's so many tools, like networking is easier than it has ever been before in one sense, even if you're introverted, because we have LinkedIn, we have lots of different social platforms, calendars, everything that can help us follow up, up to date, scripts, script generators, all these different things that uh, can allow you to network easier. Um, I was surprised on like half of the people saying they don't know what to say. They don't really know what to do. And I feel like a lot of you, if you think about it, that's the part that was so draining. You get, you know, getting to the event, like how to get there, you know, you Google Maps, you can find the event. Like showing up and, uh, you know, not falling on your face, usually pretty easy to do. <laughs> but what do you say when you go up to that first person? Uh, how do you, you know, what do you say when you're writing that message? Uh, it's, it's easier than you think. And if you practice and prepare, it becomes far easier. Most of us just don't realize or we, we, we don't make the connection that this is something you need to uh, sharpen. It's a skill and you can prepare beforehand. You can write out your unique selling proposition. You can write out your elevator pitch. You can practice it in front of a mirror the same way you'd practice a presentation over and over again until it's conversational. And the yep. more of these interactions that you have, the easier it is um, so that you know what to say. And you can get rid of two of the biggest barriers just by having a, a networking script that you know works for when you're reconnecting. Yes. 
and then having a, an elevator pitch prepared. Yeah, I was just going to say, and I mean, networking, a lot of this is about asking the other person about themselves or adding value or, yeah. or, and so you can even have on those cue cards, not just your elevator pitch, but a list of like five questions. Um, if you're not sure what to say, that's what you can start with. Um, if you don't mind, there's someone in the chat box who said, well, what happens when you enter the room in small groups and everybody's talking to each other and then you don't know what to say or how do you uh, handle that? And Christine, know you know what happens. You've seen, you've seen me talk about this before, I think, right? No? Is this a real question, Christine? I'm asking because we talk about this quite frequently in our association. And that's, that's exactly the problem a lot of us have. So we talk about doing the excuse me sandwich. Exactly, Lisa. Right? So most of us, we go into the room and everybody's in their little circles talking already. And we don't know how to introduce ourselves. So we go up to the circle and we stand there. And then we just wait for somebody to magically stop and say, oh, everybody stop the conversation. Christine has entered the circle and I would like her to introduce herself, right? They don't know your name, of course. They're not going to say this person is introduced because everybody um, is trying to avoid an awkward silence. So everybody keeps talking and nobody pauses. People will look at you, it gets awkward. And then what most people do is they just slowly leave the circle, right? That's the, that's the running joke that we have. You slowly disappear and then you excuse yourself to the restroom and it feels like it's five minutes when you're standing there waiting for somebody to introduce you. And instead, you just have to come to the, up to the circle, say, excuse me, I don't mean to interrupt, but I wanted to quickly introduce myself, right? Because somebody's going to be talking the whole time. If you say, excuse me, you know, for a second, they might have that look in their eye, like who's interrupting me, but then they'll realize they're at a networking event and everybody has to introduce themselves. You introduce yourself and then you say, excuse me again, please continue. The best way to, to enter one of those circles. And there's no way to get rid of the awkwardness. I wish I could tell you that I can give you like a magic pill and you won't feel awkward um, or, you know, just have 10 drinks and you won't feel awkward, but then you'll make other awkward choices very likely. The solution is really just to practice it, practice it, go to events that you're more comfortable with and then slowly branch out to events that you might be less comfortable in after you've tried all of these things several times. Academic conferences. Yeah. Poster sessions. Practice there where you're a bit more comfortable. Mary? Pro tip from, from Karen, our guest in the chat box. Um, do you, also, if you're in the situation where a new person approaches, mm. you can also take the initiative and say, oh, how about you? What do you think? Or, hi, you know, please introduce yourself or something, right? We can all help each other. I think it's a great Absolutely. way. Absolutely. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Karen. The very last figure here, why networking is still important. Important. This is from the Trust, uh, a Trust Navigator article. Um, the primary reference is from Undercover Recruiter. They have a lot of good data there. Um, employers hire people, not resumes. What a great title. Should all write that down. Employers hire people, not resumes. And it's very true, right? The resume, it might be a, a kind of a calling card to get you in the door, but they need to evaluate you sooner or later. Um, so what we're looking at here is a pie chart. 75% of the pie is, the, is uh, the percent of jobs that are obtained through professional networking. These are the numbers that we communicate a lot with you. 60 to 70%, this one's even higher, 75%, through networking and referrals. 15% of jobs are found by contacting employers directly, and then 10% of jobs are found through web ads or classified. Uh, Mary, this is pretty much in line with what we, we teach and we see. Anything to add to this? No, <laughs> it's perfect just the networking. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how you get hired. That's how you show yourself as the person, not the resume. That's how you can go beyond what's written on your resume and um, show that what you have to add to the company and find out if it's a good fit. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just think that um, this pie chart says it all as far as why we're here today, why we're going to be talking about networking uh, with Karen. Uh, but first, please tell Mary, thank you in the chat box for being here for the show me the data section. Thank you, Mary. Thank you. I'm very excited to introduce our leadership guest. I'm gonna share um, a couple of uh, slides here and a bio uh, we have on Karen uh, Wicker with us. And she has worked in the very earliest days at Google and Twitter. So this is Karen and I'll show you her LinkedIn profile in a second. You can go to linkedin.com slash IN slash Karen Wicker, W-I-C-K-R-E. Um, she's a communication strategist, consultant, and author. She is a veteran connector, editor, and communicator, uh, a corporate writer. Uh, she's developed story styles and cadence for Google, Twitter, and many startups. As an early Googler, 
She joined Google when there were only 500 employees. That is very early. I don't know how many tens of thousands they have now. Uh, she worked there for nine years. And in that time, they grew from 500 to 50,000 employees. She has seen her share of war rooms and fire drills, crafted scores and posts covering products and pivots, shakeups, corporate apologies and company culture. That's one of my favorite sentences ever for a bio. Uh, more recently, Karen has worked as an advisor to companies on strategy and content. Uh, she's often introduced to someone who knows everybody. Uh, her level of connectedness has become her secret power. In 2000, 2018, she took this superpower and interest in connecting people and wrote the book, an amazing book, Taking the Work Out of Networking, An Introvert's Guide to Making Connections That Count. And so I'm gonna show the book here on her website, karenwicker.com, K-A-R-E-N-W-I-C-K-R-E. -E. You can read uh, about the book here. You can read about Karen, more on her website. Her LinkedIn page, which I showed too. Look at her banner. See, this is what we teach. Put the text in your banner. Make it engaging, an incredible, incredible LinkedIn profile. And Karen, I'm actually going to connect with you. I'll follow up with a message after that. Uh, if you're looking to, uh, for where you can buy her book, go to Amazon right now. Buy her book during this show. Send her a LinkedIn message. It's a great way to connect. Uh, the book is, looks like it's on sale on Amazon, Taking the Work Out of Networking your guide to making and keeping great connections. Well, we have four and a half to almost five stars. Uh, very, very good book. Highly recommend it. Please check it out. And with that, I'm going to bring on Karen, who should be able to uh, start her video now. Let me see. There we go. And there we go. Hi, Karen. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good. Thanks for being here. Very excited yeah. to talk to somebody with so much experience and so many uh, connections. I appreciate your time. Yes, of course. I'm 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 uh, I'm I'm intrigued by your like always on messages. You touched on so many things uh, already that I have uh, written about and thought about. So I appreciate that. One small small note: it, my last name is pronounced Wickery. Wickery, thank you. Apologies. Yeah, just we like it out. looks, which is what throws people. So I was like, oh, I was yeah. like, this could go one of two ways. Yeah, Wickery. Exactly. So yes, <laughs> no for, worries for everyone listening by audio. Don't worry, we'll dub over that for the recording. <laughs> um, so the first question I always like to ask to people who have taken the time to write a book, especially after you've already achieved so much success, it's always a kind of a personal venture. So yeah, why, why did you write the book? What were you trying to to achieve with it or spread? Well, you know, so many people have, you know, thought of me as a connector over time, and I, I, I enjoy doing that. I like meeting and making introductions and helping people find the connections that they want. But it did, it, it, you know, enough people had sort of said to me, well, you, you know, you have a secret power. How do you do it? You know everybody. And I thought, you know, it'd be an interesting exercise to write down and sort of break down and detail a bunch of little tasks that I do that are essentially part of a daily habit, but in no way take over all my time. Like th these are things lots of people can do. Uh, and, and as you mentioned earlier, especially we're living in a time when we can meet more people virtually and have more virtual connections than ever before and do it in our own style, in our own time. So that is, that's what I've done. And the book was like, let me see if I can just sort of break down all these little tasks and into ways that other people can use them. And for those who haven't read the book yet, but are going to, what were some of those small daily things that you were just able to incorporate um, with, without too much uh, energy? Well, one of the things I noticed in, in, this, in the data in the survey that you just went over is people said, I, I don't know what to talk about. I don't know how to get started, right? So having being in loose touch with people that you know slightly, that you've worked with in the past, uh, even even your college and university uh, colleagues, hmm. uh, to have a way to be sort of informally in touch, not because you're asking anything, but just to say, you know, how are you to see this article? Uh, you know, I'd love to catch up soon without committing to catching up. These are, then we're in touch, right? Then it's not a cold call when you reach out to someone and say, hey, now I do have a question. Now I do need a favor. But if you're in touch, and I do, this is something I do every day, is sort of who's top of mind, who did I want to reach out to, who do I have a question about, who haven't I heard from in a while, mm. let me just send a quick note, a message, a private message on, on uh, Twitter, where I spend a lot of time, too much time, 
Um, but in any case, uh, whatever channels you have with those people, just a little, hey, thinking of you, love to hear what you're up to, saw the news about what you're up to, what you're doing, mm -hmm. you know, tell me more, I'd love to be in touch. Then when you, again, have a specific need, you're already in touch, mm. right? And, and, and even if it's months and years apart, we're, we all are used to seeing each other virtually. And that's, mm. that's really the key. Take advantage of that. No, I really appreciate you saying that. You know, we talk a lot about adding value in that way. And I think it's hard for a lot of PhDs or technical people to understand because they're like, why? They, we either say like, well, why, sh why, why would they care? Or they're going to know what I'm doing. Right. So right. what we try to say is it's a normal human interaction. So how would you explain that to the most technical introverted person that you've ever worked with at Google or Twitter? Like, how would you explain the value of adding value in that way? Well, it's just, uh, we, I think we do appreciate being in touch with people we like, right? We, we might say there's maybe a no asshole rule here about this. <laughs> like you, you, the people that you like that you were in the trenches with that you worked on a hard problem with, those are the ones that you want to keep in touch with. And honestly, it could be they are they follow a soccer team and you know that their team won or lost big last night. And you yeah. just say, saw that, you know, sorry about that. Or their favorite person won at the Grammys, you know, or what, whatever it is that's their other interest. Hmm. You say, you know, I'm just thinking of you. I hope you're doing well. And that's a little bit of social lubrication, right? Hmm. That, that I think in person, you'd have that kind of tossed off exchange uh, before you went back to work. This is not that different. Hmm. Yeah, and I think, I think you're right. Think smaller. Uh, yeah. Think about mentioning uh, a team or an interest that they have on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, you talk a lot in the book about the differences between, you know, I guess, introvertedness, extrovertedness. And it sounds like you're, you know, you're trying to pull out you know, even if you're a quieter person, a more technical person, how you can still network and how it's an advantage. Can you talk about some of those differences and what advantages maybe more introverted or quieter or technical people have? Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I got into this a little bit because I've, I've been aware of uh, the fact that I've been an introvert for a long time, but I hadn't really read about it until, of course, Susan Cain's Bible came out a few years ago, Quiet, her book uh, that was, that was, quite wonderful in detail. Yes. But the, the fact is, and so uh, people often confuse introversion with shyness. It's really not the same. Yes. And even as a kid, I felt, uh, I, I thought I was shy. And my friends would say, no, you're not, you're not shy. Uh, because I, I did like to connect with people just one-to-one -one instead of in a group. So we're all on a spectrum here. I mean, it, it, it Lots of, lots of extroverts have said to me, listen, I also need quiet time. I also need a break. Everybody does every now and again. The thing is, that's how some of us on the introverted side kind of regain our energy, right? You go out off and you kind of process what happened. Let me think about what I want to do. Let me just do the laundry and see where I am. You know, I mean, you just have to sort of pull away from the group. Introvert, extroverts get a little more energy from like more frequent interactions with people. They don't need maybe as much of a break uh, as, as we do. As much fun as I'm having out in the world, I always wonder how soon can I go home? And no. <laughs> maybe that's the hallmark. But the fact is, however you sort of get your energy to like go out again into the world, um, uh, we, we have these tools and I think introverts are better can be, I shouldn't make a blank statement, can be better listeners, are more curious about other people and letting them go first. We don't like to reveal ourselves first. So that's a perfect opportunity when you're getting to know someone or going deeper into a conversation, let them talk first. I, I mean, that's just a, a skill that I've always had because I didn't want to give up too much until I kind of knew where that other person was coming from. I think mm -hmm. any introvert can kind of relate to that. So already you're ahead in the game because you're paying attention. You're remembering, oh, this is what they like. This is their, this is where, how I situate myself in relation to them. That's a superpower. Yeah, no, you're right. And um, Susan's book and your book hit on this too, is that kind of sensitivity to pick up on things and mm -hmm. gather that information, which goes hand in hand with a lot of our PhDs who gather information for a living, yeah. uh, AKA research. So how can you take, turn that gathering into 
I guess, a, a connection that would, yeah. you know, in our practical case here, maybe lead to uh, a job opportunity or an internal right. promotion, et cetera. I know you've seen a lot of this. What, what would mm -hmm. you suggest? Well, it's, it's this thing of having a conversation. I, I, and I, I appreciate the need to have your elevator pitch down, have you know your unique proposition. The, the, the trick is, though, you can't lead with that when you're conversing with someone, right? You can't just say, okay, now I'm going to get out my little speech here. Yes. Um, instead, if you're, if you're you know, already attuned as a listener, you already want to know, you're curious about the other person, let them reveal themselves. And you can work yourself in. People do want to help each other. Someone mm -hmm. will say, you know, how can I help you? You say, well, you know, this is what I'm looking for. Do you know of anyone who knows about this? Do you yourself know about this company or this kind of field or this uh, kind of role? Um, and people will generally say, you know, yes, I do. Or no, I don't, but I know someone you should talk to, right? And that's a golden part of this whole kind of ongoing scavenger hunt, which is, it kind of is. It's sort of like, you know, making enough of a conversation that it's not all yes, no questions. It's like, oh, Oh, that brings to mind something else. Let me, you know what? I wanna, I wanna plug you in over here to somebody, and they're gonna be able to help you more than I can. That, mm -hmm. that's what it's all about. Is that sort of again social lubrication in that conversation? Perfect. And and I wanted to turn a little bit to motivation because I think we all logically know the value of networking. We logically will even know the steps to doing it, but sometimes the motivation is lacking. It's not going to be worth it. It's not going to be worth the pain I have to go through. Yeah. What kind of rationalizations do you see from especially more introverted people to avoiding, you know, that final actually going to the networking event? Oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. And then at the end of the day, they don't yeah. go. Um, how can, how do you suggest holding yourself accountable, holding others accountable, getting motivated uh, to go? Right. Well, I would say if it's, if it's truly a networking event, like you're going into a hotel ballroom, and the goal is to come out with business cards. That's kind of an awful setup. Like, you, I would try and avoid those <laughs> because yeah. they are they are not going to go well. But if it's if it's a birds of a feather thing, as you say, or or some kind of there, there's some topical yeah. connection, you know, maybe the goal is I want to have you know one or two interesting starter conversations. You're not going to cover everything you want to cover in in a group setting anyway but if you can be in the drinks line or uh you know you're hearing a speaker uh, and you're chatting uh, before they start or when they're done that's the beginning of a oh you know could could we be in touch later could i get your contact info to continue this after right can i be in touch with you because i have questions about this that's that's what the connecting is all about at those group things and so the motivator is not, I'm going to get to know everyone. I'm going to come back with a perfect answer. It's really just, uh, let me chip away at this and come away with maybe two or three uh, contacts that I can follow up with later, one-to-one, -one, back to the safety of the screen, one-to-one. -one. Yes. I love that you're saying that. I mean, that's exactly right what we talk about yeah. for a lot of you listening. Um, small goal, what it can yeah. say, like have two interesting conversations, get two people's business cards. And yes. then it's a short interaction, a few minutes, and then you leave. Like, excuse yes. yourself because the, the connecting, you notice she used the word connecting in person. That's what happens when you first meet them. But the networking, the, the building of the professional relationship happens after behind a screen by yourself where you can actually thrive, if, especially if you're a bit introverted. Mm -hmm. That's great points, Karen. Um, you have a lot of experience. Again, Google, Twitter, we read your resume. I love, uh, I love your bio, by the way. Um, Thank you. What have you seen change in the last 10 years? Like, uh, you've, I think, you know, the, whether it's the rise of technical people, the rise of more introverted people as being more valued in society, mm -hmm. and the effect that this has had on networking, obviously the, the concurrent rise of social media platforms. What are some of the things you've seen change and, and how is, I guess, now an advantage for maybe more technical or introverted people? Well, all those things you said, for sure, uh, are, are, have changed, I think, for the good. And another thing that is a, a bigger, longer-term change that I think we're all aware of now is, you know, nobody stays in a job for many, many years anymore. I mean, you, you're going to be needing to connect with people over time again and again uh, for any number of things, by the way. It's not always a job. Maybe it is one of those uh, kind of unsought-for opportunities that might come up. But also, you know, 
uh, people are looking for speakers and panelists and uh, you know experts for reporters always want experts or or board members for something so there's lots of reasons to continue connecting uh, with interesting people with people that uh, you know might uh, that, that you find interesting or that are doing something interesting and and vice versa that the same is happening on the other side this used to be more common very common within Silicon Valley because it was such a it's, it's such a fluid job market and people are constantly moving around and new companies pop up mm -hmm. but I but I see now um, it's much wider than just the tech industry or Silicon Valley people now expect you know who do you know at so-and-so who do you know uh, at this university at this company uh, who has this kind of role I'd like to find out more Right, that's a much more common thing. That's a that's a great thing. That's an okay thing. It, it's not considered a weakness. It's not considered a bad thing. It's it's just like I'm curious. I'd like to know more. You're not declaring your you know too too much of a of a position there. You're just saying I'd I'd like to find out more about that thing. Could you know? Can I get to this person or that person? Yeah, and I, and I like the uh, kind of casualness that you're describing it because it, if you make it this huge, intense thing, uh, it, it, you just build it up in your mind as something bigger than it needs to be. But if you make it about the other person, adding value to them, asking them a question, yeah. having conversations, this thing happens over time. It doesn't seem as daunting. Last question I always like to ask is, do you have a, a particular antidote or your favorite antidote from the book or story, whether from you know Google or Twitter or somewhere else about introverts or networking or somebody that you maybe saw turn the corner who never talked to people and then became more outgoing uh, or maybe a story about what not to do the the worst networking mistake you've ever seen I would say I, I gotta say I have a more negative example which is when people are too literal about the the point of this specific event or the point of I, I you know I know what's it gonna do what good is it will it do me I don't know you know that the right people are there and uh, you know so I'm not gonna go or or that's not the right contact for me because they're not in the exact position that I want and I've seen people uh, I've tried to help people and say like here's someone I want to introduce you to and they'll say well gosh, do I want to drive all the way, you know, from San Francisco to Mountain View for to, to meet someone and but they're not in the right position that I exactly is my dream job, you know, that is that's the mistake is being too literal. Like, we don't have enough information in 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 any given moment, right? We're always on a quest for more information. So don't rule out, you know, people by their current uh, role, necessarily, if someone says, I think you should meet this person. They know a lot. So say yes, default to yes, right? Because we, we just don't have enough information to decide ahead of time. That is not going to be the right contact for me to make. You, you don't know that. Now yeah. you, you can cut short the ones that are not promising once you had a few you know, minutes to kind of assess, but you can't say this is gonna be useless to me. You, you, because you just don't know that. We don't have enough information. I'm always sort of bugging people about that. So I guess that would be my, my negative example. <laughs> I love that. I mean, we see it just even on LinkedIn, like, well, I can't connect with this person. They're not in my background or whatever. Right. Just insane because yeah. every individual person, like there's, there's qualitative value there and they could get a job a year later at your dream company. Right. Like, oh man, I blew that person off. I wouldn't even meet to have a lunch with them or right. I didn't connect with them on LinkedIn. So great points, Karen. Karen, thank you very much for your time. Great to see you. Congratulations on your success. The book, all of you get the book. It's incredible. <laughs> Show it again on the screen. Thank, thank you, you so much, Isaiah. It's been really fun. And uh, yeah, good luck to everybody. You can do it. <laughs> right. Thank you, Karen. Please thank Karen in the chat box if you would. Lots of thank yous already. What a great, uh, great interview, great insights. I'm going to show on the screen here one more time uh, Karen's book. And we'll put the link in the chat box, the show uh, flow note or the post show notes, taking the work out of networking, your guide to making and keeping great connections. Uh, you can go to Karen Wickery's uh, homepage here, uh, K-A-R-E-N-W-I-C-K-R-E.com. So excellent. Great to see all, all of you uh, engaging and thanking Karen. Really appreciate it. Are you a PhD student or postdoc who wants to get an industry job? Are you tired of being paid one third or less of what you are worth in academia? 
but you don't know where to start. Maybe you've been uploading resumes over and over again, but you haven't heard anything back from an employer. Go to phdsgethired.com and get our free materials on how to get hired in industry. All you have to do is go to phdsgethired.com put in your name and email address, and we will send you our resume guide, our networking scripts, and our other free trainings to help you start your job search now. Again, just go to phdsgethired.com. We're going to move right along now, and we're going to bring on our uh, special internal guest, our career segment for uh, Daniel Parra. Paradiso. Did I say that right, Daniel? We'll bring you on. You can correct me too. Um, he's a process engineer. We're going to talk about how he got into this career path, what he does, and a lot more. So we're going to bring on Daniel now. And again, a special thanks to, to Karen for joining us uh, today. Lots of great, lots of great insights. So Daniel, you should be able to bring, you should be able to start your video. Let's see if that works. And your audio. Hello. How Hello. are you? Good. Good. You. How are you? Doing very can well. You, can you see and hear me? I can. I can see. I can see and hear you. So we're we're in good shape. So how are you? What do you think of Karen's uh, interview? A great interview. I was <clears throat> very struck by <clears throat> her position about the, the fact that you always need to to stay connected. Mm -hmm. uh, any 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 person uh, can be. Uh, Available connection using CSA's words. Um, you never, you, you really, literally never know what what can happen uh, yeah. down the road. Um, as you said, somebody might get a job at a, at your dream company tomorrow, in a week, in two years, because the world is dynamic. Uh, you know, nowadays more than ever, and uh, you you need to stay connected. You need yeah. to look beyond what's just your uh, uh, the 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 yard, the backyard at your house that you know well. It was like being in your lab as a PhD student, as you always say. Um, uh, go go out, yeah. go out and look for for more because yeah. you will find more. No, I agree. And uh, the the person to person interactions, like just make those connections, and then you can follow up afterwards by yourself. And you'll never you never know where they they've come from. All of the, like all of my industry jobs and promotions came from a connection, years before usually that I had no idea. So I worked with one person uh, for for a year, and then she left, um, and we stayed in touch. And then a job opened up at the company she went to like a year or a year or so later. She's like, hey, you should check out this job. You'd be a good fit. Got hired there. Better job than I had before. Um, another, I got, had this, I got a request to give a talk about this medical software that I was working for in Germany. And I was like, I don't want to travel all the way to Germany for an hour software demo basically is what it was. But I did, I gave it. The person who was in charge two years later offered me a job there. And I just share those personal examples so that if you're thinking, oh, I know how this is going to work out, or I know who that person is, or I've seen their LinkedIn profile, they can't help me. They have a different background. There's no value here. You, it's impossible to judge. Impossible. If the person is any somewhat professional whatsoever, whether they have a job, even if they don't have a job, doesn't matter. There is value there because we've seen a lot of it in the association. Somebody will reach out to connect with someone and, and they'll, they'll be looking for people that are currently working in industry. And if somebody's not working in industry, they're like, oh, well, I don't have time really to connect with you. And we've seen that person over and over again get hired in a job. And then the other person come back to us and say, well, one of the biggest mistakes I made was not valuing people who didn't have a job or weren't at the exact company that I wanted because those people got hired at those companies later. Or those people could be helping me right now. And I blew them off. I blew them off. So, um, Important lesson. Thank you, Daniel, for, for uh, sharing with us what you enjoyed. I do want to ask you about your job. So you're in a process engineer job. What is that? What is that? What so you... by, the way, by the way, thank you for having me on, first yeah. of all. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, I, I believe that uh, I owe CSA something. So uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be here and say that, uh, yes, uh, all that the association suggests is, is true, is good. Uh, how did I get into this position? It's been funny because uh, I've been looking for 
uh, a job uh, trying to follow the association's method, uh, you know, with my connections, Excel spreadsheet, yes. and trying to connect to people on LinkedIn. And what happened was that uh, I <clears throat> just happened to talk to a friend, uh, older friend, older than me, uh, who already had some type of career in industry, but um, who had told me a few months before, you know, where I'm working, there are no openings. I don't think uh, you can send me your resume. Uh, I can uh, pass it along, but uh, I know I, I don't think there is going to be any good opportunity right now. Okay. Uh, but then it comes out a few months later saying, you know, I've been talking with Mano, one of my older colleagues, somebody at the company, and uh, he's uh, involved with some uh, important uh, uh, sort of acquisition process within the company of a smaller company uh, uh, we are interested in, we as a, a larger corporation. Uh, they actually do interesting things. Uh, it's a position as a process engineer, which for what I understand means that <clears throat> your uh, scientific uh, technical skills can help the development of some industrial processes. Okay. And um, as I got in contact with the, the person, and here I should um, highlight uh, the friend of a friend mechanism, I think I've said it uh, the, the previous time uh, you brought me on, but it's something uh, you dedicated the radio show to, as I remember. Yes. That's really true. So you never know where you can get from someone you already know. Or it would even be friend of a friend of a friend in the sense that yeah. you don't know where connections can bring. I remember the uh, story of this associate. Uh, she was talking about being at a friend's house you know, probably on a Saturday, but nothing related to her PhD work or her looking for a job. And uh, uh, it happens, it turns out that the friend, uh, her friend's friend who was there, who happened to be there, like walking his yes, dog or right. something, yeah. uh, actually got her a job in the sense that connected her to the right people. So uh, I think it's what happened to me, uh, probably... <clears throat> in a lucky way, uh, good circumstances, uh, right timing, you can say it the way you want, um, but I thought <laughs> that was uh, the award I had gotten uh, for my uh, nine months of job search with very little results, which mm -hmm. actually taught me something uh, along with the, the, the CSA method. But it turned out that in starting to interview with uh, not even the person I was put in contact with, but some uh, uh, technology officer okay. within the uh, soon to be acquired company. They actually found in my background the, the things they were looking for. And this is what I am uh, absolutely realizing about being in the role that it's not just, uh, you, you will probably never find the job where you're going to do your specific bench work in the lab studying that protein or that mechanism yes. or that reaction the companies if i may say uh companies look for uh, your your skill set as you as as you have said so many times in the association in the webinars as you say in the, uh, the, the modules and yeah. everywhere in the material of the association it's what you have learned, the attitude you have learned, the determination, and uh, <clears throat> the anything that you can offer a company, the company will be interested in. And the for me, skills. yeah, transferable okay. skills. And in my case, it. Sorry, sorry. No, no, no. I just want to. Uh, you're you're unpacking a lot of stuff. So let me just recap for the listeners real quick. Um, the important part of what Daniel's saying. There's a three or four key points so far. The first is you don't know where your, your referral is going to come from. And it could come after a rejection. The person who ended up referring them for the job that came open was after they said, there's no jobs here. So if you hear that there's no jobs here, it doesn't matter. That connection is still valuable. Keep following up, right? So we got the referral. And whether it's a primary connection or a secondary or even a tertiary, big value there. If you're in the association, we like to say you're only two degrees of separation away from 
any company you want to work for with over 8,000 people in the association, over 10,000 people in all of the Cheeky Scientist programs, you, all you need is an introduction to somebody working at any company, or you, you're automatically connected to the person working at that company through a primary connection. And that's, that's value. And, and even if it's a tertiary connection, it's just two introductions that you're away. Um, so I think that's a great point from, from Daniel as well. And I like what you're describing about the process in terms of how you were uh, passed from one person to the other, right? So these networking interactions lead to further networking interactions at the company, which ultimately led to you getting hired. Now, in the interest of time, Daniel, I, wanna, I do want to cover two things. So since you're, you talked about networking and how it led to the interview, I want to know what the interview looked like, and then I want to know what you actually do day-to-day -day as a process engineer. So first, if you could just tell us, what did the interview process look like? Did you have phone calls only, video calls? Did you come in for a site visit? It was, so uh, <clears throat> the tricky part was that I was interviewing for a job being on a soon to expire visa in the US. So I could not leave the country and uh, the person who was interviewing me was uh, so interested enough and kind enough to do everything basically through Skype, primarily voice on, 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 the, on the phone because that was just the way the interviewer preferred. And it was actually very good because it was uh, enough to, for me to communicate to them all they, you know, they wanted to know about me and for me to learn about the job. So it's been uh, quite tricky circumstances, but uh, through, uh, well, it was two phone calls and then I could also interview with video uh, with two future uh, potential colleagues. And um, that was certainly enough for them to be well impressed by me and for me to get a sense of the type of people I was gonna work with. And here I could just mention, you know, company culture, which is also, you know, the, the culture of the country you are about to move for a job. So that's important because for example, here in Sweden, there is a certain way to work and uh, all the environment is very employee friendly and respects people's time. So it's, it's important to know about the culture and the company's culture of the country and the company, the place where we are going to. Uh, so does this answer the first question? Perfect. And then, yes. Yeah, so, and then what, so you're in this process engineer role, what company? So the company ST microelectronics, uh, they, it's a large multinational producing sensors and uh, microchips and uh, controllers for many applications. And, and what was your PhD background? So my PhD background was actually physical chemistry, having a, a first background as a college student in physics. Yes. And then I have pursued PhD in chemistry working with materials. So my and background is actually very uh, various and uh, peculiar. Uh, peculiar. But I think that, 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 that uh, really uh, helped uh, my interviewers to value uh, the type of knowledge uh, and uh, preparation uh, contribution I could bring to the company. Yeah, and I, I think I love that you use that as an advantage. So for those who don't know, what does a process engineer do day to day? Which departments do you interact with? How much of your day? For example, you do? it's, it's a small company that's been acquired. And so it's, it's go, it, it is being integrated into the larger one and it's growing, growing a process. So I, I think I'm really lucky because uh, I have the opportunity to see many different aspects. So the one of research and development, lots of R&D that you keep, you need to keep moving in order to develop a process because developing a process needs to look at what's gonna happen in the first year, first couple of years. So there is an investment, there is money already in the pipeline to go toward a product. But uh, uh, the, the question is what's gonna happen in, uh, in three years, in five years. So you need to keep research and moving to figure out what you can make a product next. And so then there is also the more industrial part of being a process engineer. And so you have to learn about a specific production process, be aware of all the potential problems that can occur. And in that it could be analyzing data at the computer or you know, sharing information 
ideas with somebody else or being at the bench doing something or being on a machine trying to figure out what kind of problems have occurred uh, that caused that particular problem. And so what, uh, what's, that, the, what's the product? So in our case, uh, I cannot say too much because of proprietary no, information. Like but a microchip or like what? It's, it's uh, developing silicon carbide technology for um, a particular, I could say, like transistor products uh, for many different industries. So and so people, there is... No, no, and I want to break this down slow for people who are not, don't have any sort of background in engineering or process engineering. So that's the product. And then you develop as a process engineer a process for creating this product over time and supporting it over time? So there, is, there are already processes, but uh, the, the main thing uh, that uh, got me hired uh, was uh, the mass production that the large corporation wants to develop, okay. starting from uh, what's what's been happening at the small company. So the big company has an interest in the small company's methods and processes, and they want to bring them to large scale. Uh, but this uh, <clears throat> implies uh, solving many different problems. And this is a very interesting aspect of being a, a process engineer in this type of transition, in this yes. like merging and acquisition. Yeah, because yeah. you go from what's small uh, like you are at the university uh, lab bench and you want to to pr make that to bring that into a larger scale much larger scale process and that involves <clears throat> a lot of different problematics that you need to face mm. and, and sort of do experiments and models uh, think about to uh, to to reach solutions i just try to be as succinct as possible. No, no, that's perfectly also clear. No, I like that. I mean, so you're, you're engineering a process, but this involves a lot of things from possibly, you know, possibly working at the bench, crunching uh, numbers, data analysis, um, and, and overall combining a lot of processes too. And on, on top of this, you're currently going through a merger and acquisition, which is PhDs. A lot of us don't know much about, which means you're taking the processes of the smaller company, integrating them into the processes of the larger company, which is sometimes a, a full-time job. Uh, for process engineers. So Daniel, thank you very much in the interest of time. I really appreciate and you. Uh, if, if, I, if I may add something. Yes, please. Uh, I, I get to interact with a lot of people. It's a small environment for what I described before, but I get to interact with a lot of people. You need to be communicative. So mm -hmm. remember what I, dear Isaiah and CSA always uh, remind everyone about. Uh, go out, interact with people. So you're not going to be valuable just for the even super great lab uh, bench work that you can do, but it's important that you can be communicative, that you can interact with people, that you can create something with other people. You're, you're never going to be doing anything by yourself in industry because you work in a team, uh, being a smaller or a larger one. They will want you to be so certainly creative, certainly smart, but also uh, a, a team player. You need to be interactive with people and they will appreciate you. They will, uh, they will, they, they will give, they will recognize, acknowledge value of your uh, uh, skills and abilities. Well said. Daniel, thank you very much. Great to see you. Please thank Daniel in the chat box. For, Thank you for uh, the opportunity, Isaiah, and uh, yeah. best of luck toward the 51% of um, uh, 500 Fortune Company CEOs. I, I believe that's an ambitious, uh, a bold uh, goal, uh, but uh, I love the approach, uh, just the invention of the association and what you, you want to achieve. So I'm glad to be part of this adventure and if I can, you know, uh, help a little bit, like I hope I did tonight again, um, please reach out and I'll try to, to be there on the Facebook group and wherever association is. Thank you, Daniel. Really appreciate your enthusiasm and congratulations on your success Thanks. in industry. You're thank very you. welcome and have a good day, everyone. Thank you. All right, please thank Daniel again in the chat box, if you would.
Very appreciative to have him on. This takes us to the end of the public portion of our show. Um, but I do want to remind everybody that we have a very special Scientist MBA webinar open to the public. If you're listening to this, if you're watching this, it's on February 13th, Thursday, February 13th at 9 p.m. We will be discussing key business topics like mergers and acquisitions, which Daniel brought up, economics, quantitative analysis in industry, organizational behavior, the high-level business questions you'll get asked during interviews, how do you answer those? You have to know more than just your, your PhD background. You have to start to speak the language of industry. And again, the link to that is cheekyscientist.com slash smba-business-acumen-webinar. And I'll show this on the page on the screen one more time here. Increase your business acumen to get hired into a management role in 2020. So this closes soon. Make sure you click on this link. Get on the webinar. Uh, get on the webinar list. You have to be uh, signed up to join and to get um, all of the materials that come with the webinar as well. So hopefully we'll see you there. Thank you, everybody. As always, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. This takes us to the end of another Cheeky Scientist radio show podcast. Thank you for joining us. If you want to learn more about transitioning into your first or next job in industry, just go to phdsgethired.com. Go to phdsgethired.com. We will send you all of our free training materials that will help you start your job search now or help you take it to the next level in business. As always, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. Bum, 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 bum,